Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God which engages us is the epistle lesson today, but especially verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's part of the text. Dear friends in Christ, as we gather here weekly to receive God's gifts of word and sacrament, we have to acknowledge, we have to admit, that there are some out there who think that what we do here is foolishness, that what we preach and what we teach is foolishness, that the message of the cross, namely, that Jesus, true God and true man, went to a cross and voluntarily died there and rose again on the third day, and as a result, all of our sins are forgiven and we have everlasting life in the presence of God is foolishness. And unfortunately, thinking of the message of the cross as foolishness is nothing new. For we learn in our epistle lesson for today that back in the first century A.D., in the city of Corinth, there were some, perhaps many, who considered the message of the cross foolishness. Paul singles out two groups in particular, the Jews and the Greeks. Two groups that were different in many, many different ways, but had two main things in common. Both set themselves up as the sole arbiters, the sole authorities on what is true and what is false. And both found many reasons to reject the message of the cross. Paul writes that the Jews seek signs. The Jews were seeking signs or miracles from Christ, similar to the miracles that God provided in the Old Testament for his people, such as the parting of the Red Sea when he was releasing them from their captivity in Egypt, or the provision of manna when his people were out there in the wilderness. The Jews were demanding some big outward sign from Jesus in order to prove that he was the Messiah. For example, in John chapter 6, the Jews come to Jesus and say, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now to be sure, Jesus did many, many signs and miracles as he walked this earth. And still there were many, many people who didn't believe. Jesus gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, mobility to the lame. He even brought three people back from death to life once again. But Jesus never did what we might call a sign on demand. In order, in, in other words, in, in response to the requests of the Jews for a sign, he never said, okay, here's a miracle. Instead, his miracles 
his signs were more spontaneous and were incredibly gracious gifts of God to those who received them and those who saw them. Indeed, Jesus did many, many signs on this earth for those who had eyes to see. And Paul goes on to say that the Greeks demanded wisdom. The Greeks were looking for some new knowledge, some new insights, some new perspectives on life and how to live it. And then, and only then, might they think about it and perhaps follow Jesus. In the midst of these demands for signs and wisdom, Paul very boldly and confidently and joyfully says, we preach Christ crucified. And the tense of that verb crucified means that we could also translate this phrase, we preach Christ, or we preach the anointed one, we preach the Messiah as having been crucified. But wait a minute, a Messiah having been crucified? Isn't that a bit of a contradiction in terms? After all, the Jews were looking for a powerful Messiah, in spite of many Old Testament passages that predicted the crucifixion of a suffering servant that God was going to send. No, they were looking for and expecting a powerful Messiah who would overthrow the Romans who were ruling over them and set up a very affluent kingdom for them, a kingdom of power and prestige such as they enjoyed back when their own kings, David and Solomon, were ruling in the Old Testament. A Messiah having been crucified? Crucifixion at that time was seen as the worst and most humiliating way to die. It was reserved for the worst of the worst of the criminals. And then there is that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree or is crucified. A Messiah, having been cursed, having been crucified, that would be a stumbling block. That would be an impediment to the Jews believing. And the Greeks, and the Romans for that matter, and the Gentiles would also have a problem with a Messiah having been crucified. They would see a crucified Messiah as a sign of defeat and weakness, not victory and strength. And so a second century Roman philosopher described Christians as people who worship a dead God and said it is absurd and ridiculous. Well, although Paul talks about Jews and Greeks and Christians, he also lets us know that there are really only two main groups back then and there are still only two main groups today, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who are perishing are perishing because they have rejected the Messiah. They have rejected God's offer of forgiveness, mercy, and grace. 
they have rejected the message of the cross and consider it foolishness. Oh, and by the way, that word for foolishness in the original language is the Greek word moron, from where we get the English term moron. They consider the message of the cross to be moronic, if we can use that term. Well, with all of those people perishing, how is it that we are among those who are being saved? How is it that there are billions of people among those who are being saved? Is it because we were conceived and born spiritually a little closer to God than other people? Is it because we were conceived and born maybe a little less spiritually defective than other people? Is it because we were conceived and born intellectually superior to those other people? Or perhaps maybe a little more insightful than those other people? Well, as much as we might like to believe that self-flattering description of ourselves, when we go to the scriptures, we see that God's truth doesn't support it whatsoever. Just one chapter later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, God, through the Apostle Paul, writes this. The natural person, that's us according to our nature, the way we are conceived and born, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Without the work of the Spirit of God, Without the work of the Holy Spirit working through the word in us, we would still be among those who are perishing. Or remember how beautifully and succinctly Luther puts it in his explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed dealing with the Holy Spirit when he writes, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified, and kept me in the true faith. It is only because of the work of the Holy Spirit that we are amongst those being saved. And so this truth abides. If anyone is among those who are perishing, it is their fault for having rejected the message of the cross. And if anyone is among those who are being saved, all glory, all praise goes to God for his work in calling them to faith. And so, for us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the message of God's power. For what looks like a defeat and weakness on the cross is actually God defeating sin, death, and the devil once and for all. It is God crushing the head of Satan, just as he promised way back in Genesis 3, verse 15. It is God's overall triumph over all evil. And what looks like the foolishness of the cross to the world is actually the wisdom of God. How wise of God not to leave even the smallest part of this salvation plan 
up to us. For there is nothing that we could do except mess it all up. Instead, God has done it all. And because he has done it all, it is sure, it is certain, it is true. You can trust it, and you can have peace as a result. For us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the message of God's love for you. A loving father who didn't even spare his own son, but instead delivered him up for your offenses. It's the message of a loving Savior who went to the cross in your place and endured the wrath of God that should have been inflicted on you because of your sin. But before he did that, he said, Greater love has no man than this, and he lay down his life for his friends. We who are being saved can only hope and can only pray that God and the Holy Spirit will be at work through his word in the hearts and minds of those who presently think of the message of the cross as foolishness. So that one day they might in their hearts and their minds come to the realization that what looks like the foolishness of God is actually wiser than man. And what looks like the weakness of God is actually stronger than man. Several weeks ago, I ran across a wonderful example of this in a professor named Rosalind Picard at MIT. She is world-renowned for her work comparing uh, emotions to artificial intelligence, some pretty lofty intellectual research and work. But after prolonged reading of the Bible, she wrote this. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind, capital M, mind, meaning God, snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today, I walk humbly, having received the most undeserved grace. And just several days ago, I found a wonderful connection between Rosalind Picard and what we are observing here today, namely the Sanctity of Life Sunday. She wrote in a tweet just nine days earlier, on January 20, 2023, when the March for Life was taking place in Washington, D.C., she wrote the following. Today is a very emotional day for many, the March for Life in D.C. For me, I feel deeply grateful to all who show love to both the mom and her unplanned child. I was that unplanned child for an MIT student who graciously placed me for adoption. By the grace of God, Rosalind Picard was given life twice by God, once physically and once spiritually and eternally. And so have you. And that's the message of the cross. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding 
Guard our hearts and our minds in this one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.